0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays for the 2023 football season. If you're betting preseason over-unders, in my unprofessional opinion, the best bet on the board is taking the Pittsburgh Steelers over Eight and a half wins. If you want to place that as your first bet, you can head to Bet Online Sportsbook and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using our promo code Believe B L E A V. When you click the link in the description to this episode, Bet Online, where the game starts. <laughs> It easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is as always a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. We have a fan, fantabulous episode coming at you today. It is Wednesday, August 23rd according to my count. It may not be that according to your count. But we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. Juju Talk Sports is joining us back again here on the show. It's week zero in college football and college football realignment has been at the top of minds and we talked about on this show how the Pac-12 is dead. We've talked on this show about what steps along the way in the last 30 years it took to get here uh that episode came out a couple weeks ago it was actually a relatively popular episode so thank you guys for supporting that it was the august 7th episode of the take it easy podcast i ended up doing a full hour on the 30 year history of the pac-12 and college football realignment and how we got to the place that we did earlier this month where the pac-12 dissolved as a conference So when Juju Talk Sports and I got together, put together our YouTube videos for the week, one of the ideas that we had was, well, we've already talked about how we got to now with the Pac-12, so now let's talk about where we go from here, not just with college football realignment, but also with the current state of the ACC, because for those who may not know, the ACC is in the middle of fighting for... Their member schools to get out of a television contract that they signed through 2036 was an 18-year contract at the time, a contract that locks them into dollar values that will be significantly less than what they could have negotiated right now. The ACC took the money in the short term to keep the conference alive, and now the member schools who could have gotten more money by going over to the... SEC or the Big Ten or potentially negotiating a new television contract, those member schools are a little bit angry. And so those member schools are now trying to confer with their lawyers to see if there's any way that they can get out of that TV contract. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what college football as a separate entity that hopefully pays its unpaid labor compensation and salaries what that might start to look like over the next 10 years and why after the ACC figures out what's happening with their TV contract that's probably going to be about the end of realignment for this television contract and then in about nine years we'll see another round of realignment once television contracts come up in the sport so Juju Talk Sports and I are going to break that down we're also talking some baseball in our Star Wars universe as we break down Juju's favorite baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, who find themselves in an interesting position right about now. It is a sports radio Wednesday today, and we're talking college football, we're talking baseball here on the show with our friend, Juju Talks Sports. 12 They're going to make documentaries about you one day about how you just royally screwed up this conference, and now... Four schools go to the Big 12. Four schools take the parachute in the Big 10. And Cal, Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State are left in the wilderness waiting to see who will come collect them as part of their next conference. Oregon State and Washington State are definitely going to the Mountain West. Uh, Cal and Stanford. This reporting is funny because the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, is thinking. We can make some money off of Cal and Stanford and Cal and Stanford are saying, we'll take 17 years of a television contract as a security blanket or Cal and Stanford. Stanford's won three Rose Bowls in the last uh, decade and Cal had Aaron Rodgers 15 years ago. So, you know, they're like, we have nothing right now. We'll take the security blanket of a 15 year television contract with the ACC. And according to most recent reports, the ACC vote right now is seven. Yes. Eight no for Cal and Stanford to join the conference, so yeah, they are uh they need one person to flip. They need one school to flip to admit Cal and Stanford, which is just another hilarious turn of this college football realignment wave is that we have it basically it's just becoming succession at this point, which is like all of the war criminals at Stanford are going to the ACC board and they're like, look. What can we do to convince you to flip? What do we need to do to get your vote to flip? But then so it's basically just succession at this point. Counting votes in board meetings is basically where Stanford and Cal are at trying to get into the
2: ACC. <laughs> Again, the biggest thing with that situation that blows my mind is just the naming of the conference. Like It's been the dumbest thing for years anyway since conference <laughs> realignment really took off. But teams on the Pacific playing in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Please, if, if we're going to go any further with any of these realignments, just rebrand, come up with something, I don't care. Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be such a dick
1: move if they called it the Pacific Atlantic Coast Conference and it became the PAC and then they called it the PAC 16 or the PAC 17 or whatever it's going to be? That would be such a dick move. If Call they the even stole conference. the PAC yeah, they stole the Pac-12's branding and just called it the P-A-C-C instead of the P-A-C-PAC. That would be hilarious if they just stole the Pac-12's branding as well. But no, these schools have branding now. The Big Ten is a brand. The Big 12 is a brand. It sucks that it doesn't make sense in the math, but it's a brand now. It's It would be like changing the NFL to be like the NAFL. It's like, no, at this point, they're just brands. So they're not going to change any of the names of the conference. Even if Cal and Stanford get admitted, they're not changing
2: the name of the conference. It's just, it's branding at this point. Well, I guess, you know, hey, you had Hawaii and you had them in the Mountain West, right? I and mean, I guess there's volcanoes in Hawaii, sure. If that counts as Mountain it, it, West. Hawaii is Hawaii is technically West. So I guess
1: that that's what they got going for them. So in terms of the future of college football, you have the the short term Cal and Stanford are going to get resolved and then Oregon State and Washington State are going to join the Mountain West and the Pac-12 will cease to exist as we know it. Okay, that's the short term change. The long term is ACC is going to sort out their realignment situation and then we're not going to have much change in college football for a good, uh, call it 10, 15 years. Because that's usually what happens in college football is you have a a 3 year wave of realignment and then 10 to 15 years of stability it's basically with every television contract because television is now where the majority of like football related revenue comes from they still make money from selling tickets to games and all sort and the game day experience and stuff but the predominant amount of revenue for these conferences comes from television deals. And so every time a new television deal comes up, you're going to see conferences switch and conferences realign. And the next step is, one, whether the ACC can break their television contract. But after that's resolved, you're going to have not much realignment for the next 10 years. And then around 2030-ish, because I believe the SEC signed a 12-year television deal with Disney and ESPN, and the Big Ten signed a nine-year deal with, like, the Fox-CBS-NBC partnership, so say around 2032 or 2033, that's when you're gonna potentially see one giant mega conference that gets formed because they're going to be like, why would we compete against each other when we can just create a mega conference, the SEC, Big 10, ACC conglomerate that all plays against each other in one 64 team league because it'll maximize television and they will probably get an antitrust exemption and they will form a the new version of a super league with 64 teams or 32 teams or whatever they end up doing. So that'll yeah. be the next stage 10
2: years from now do you think at some point because obviously we're approaching this from a football standpoint i'm sure it's going to bleed over a little bit into another profitable sport in basketball do you think at some point these conferences will just become about football because i i just question the economics for sending volleyball teams across the country or soccer teams across the country running joke right now is rutgers having to go all the way to eugene oregon and having the fifth longest travel schedule of any team not just college but team it depends how brazen they want to be about
1: keeping the model in place because the reason they're keeping the model in place of like football funds these other programs is They don't have to pay their labor if the Supreme Court rules, hey, college football, you have to pay your labor like salaried employees. What's going to happen is that you're going to create a separate football league that uses the branding of all the schools, basically. So it, it's like the league won't be affiliated with the schools. They'll still play in the same stadiums and all that stuff, but it will be a separate league and the schools will license their branding to the teams and get paid a whole bunch of money for licensing out their branding. Well, and that it would, will essentially be a football league where labor's getting paid.
2: Well, that would make sense because, and the reason I ask this is because I've seen personally too, even with my own alma mater, how they were in the Sunbelt for football, yet they were still in the WAC for basketball. So I know it can be done. And I do think that that might be the future that you're honestly suggesting. I've heard a lot of people suggest this of college football just being its own thing and the NCAA being its own other thing. Should college football separate from the NCAA? I think that's been a question that a lot of people have been asking for years. And at a certain point, it just feels like the money is pushing it in that direction. So college football
1: is already separate from the NCAA. They they have no, I mean, they, the NCAA is the governing body, but it doesn't essentially govern anything in college football. The conferences negotiate the college football playoff at this point. So college football is already separate from the NCAA. But
2: if the What's, NCAA wants to come down with a the suspension, they still can.
1: Yes, but that's because the schools still give the NCAA that power. They would rather the NCAA, which is kind of a like fake governing body and like a fake police at this point, they would rather them be the legislators than having to legislate themselves. And at some point in the near future, that's going to change. Obviously, the NCA puts on March Madness. They pull the rest of the sports into like one collective television contracts. So there's like 40 something sports that they have a TV deal with with ESPN. The next television deal, the women's basketball tournament is going to be its own separate television contract similar to the men's basketball tournament. But right now, the women's sport is all in that group of 40 sports or something. The future is if, if it's ruled that you have to pay college athletes salaries, you will essentially see a league that essentially operates as college football super league, but it includes all of the schools and their licensing. They will pay them in both salaries as well as paying them in being able to attend the schools that are licensing out their name and their merchandise for the college football I don't want to call it a super league because it's not a super league for the college football 50, 50 team conference or 50 team league that will encompass the highest earning programs in college football and a handful of other ones based on their performance and value that they add to whatever the next college football merger will look like, or which I think will be the big college football merger, by about 2031, or whenever the nine-year television contract runs up for the Big Ten and the 12-year contract runs up for the SEC, around that time in about a decade is when you might end up seeing the one big merger of college football teams into one conference or one league that will encompass all of the highest revenue earning programs episode 5 the Dodger Empire strikes back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the force. After their incredible victory, The Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrizian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and supreme closer Lord Hater, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all.
2: The San Francisco Giants have been a pleasant surprise much of this baseball season, currently sitting in a wild card spot as we record here today. But recently they've been slumping hard and it's hard to get a read on will this team be closer to the team that is playing now versus will they be closer to the team that was playing like a team on fire heading into the all-star break. Kyle, I I tell you, I wasn't expecting them to be ahead of the Padres at this point in the year, but here we are.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, the Padres are doing more damage than uh, the Giants are blowing them out of the water. Although San Diego and San Francisco have about the same run differential at this point. It's just been a... Uh... It's been a very unlucky season for San Diego. I know the Giants are sitting at plus eight in the run differential column and San Diego is plus 57 in the run differential column. So at least I can hold that over San Francisco. But the Giants being in the playoffs is a byproduct of a a big like gluttonous group in the in the middle of the National League, right? We know the Braves and the Dodgers have both been exceedingly great this year. The Dodgers just ran off a 10 game win streak to really pull away from the Giants. I know that For a minute there, the Giants were like, we're a game and a half back. We're two games back of the Dodgers. Then you look up and now they're 11 games back of the Dodgers. But behind the Dodgers and Braves, who are clearly going to play in the NLCS this year, which is something you can't usually say for baseball. Baseball is usually random and crazy. Behind the Dodgers and Braves, there's just like a bunch of teams that could beat each other on any given day. And uh, I give the Giants credit for being in that group this year because... After the tumultuous offseason they had uh, with the arson judges and the Carlos Correa's and the Michael Conforto's, it didn't seem like they would uh, necessarily be in this position. And so San Francisco, as we're recording, finds themselves a game and a half ahead of the Diamondbacks, Reds, and the Marlins for the final wildcard spot because it's a three-way tie for seventh place right now and like you said it's hard to get a read on where they kind of stand at this point are they the team that ran off nine out of ten games back in June or are they the team that can't score runs right now
2: yeah let's talk about that offensive struggles that the Giants are facing so since July 19th last in runs per game at 2.9 last in batting average last in OPS last average with runners in scoring position or sorry 29th. so second to last so it's been pretty ugly and you know part of it is just earlier when they were on fire they're young guys they were coming up they were hitting they had a couple of the old guys performing well right now the only bat that you really can count on as a giants fan is wilmer flores And while I love watching Wilmer play, and he's certainly come up big at many points this season, he can't be your main guy to count on. Jock Peterson can't be your main guy to count on. When Buster Posey retired, I knew it was going to be tough sledding either way. And that's why I was relieved when we saw Patrick Bailey come up this year. And for a good while there, he was looking like a competent replacement to Buster Posey, the true heir apparent. And defensively, he's still doing a nice job. He's still one of the best, if not the best defensive catcher in the National League. So you got to give that to the rookie backstop. But his batting average, the, his switching ability is taking a huge step back and then the team as a whole some of their early season success, you gave the guys like Lamont way JD Davis. Well, I, I have some bad news. Basically, over the last 30 days, late night Lamont, he needs to wake up. He's batting 200 over the last month. And his OBP His on-base percentage, which was his claim to fame early in the season, and losing a series to the Angels, that's not good. Like, I can forgive losing to the Rangers. I can forgive losing to the Rays. I can forgive losing to the Braves. But you got to beat the bad teams. That's part of the issue they're in right now. This part of the rut. It's funny that you mentioned the Rangers series
1: because that was like the the Sunday game against the Rangers was like the perfect embodiment of what's happened this year, which is Logan Webb gave them eight and two thirds innings without allowing a run he was that close to throwing a complete game shutout and the score was one to zero he gave up a double they went to the bullpen and texas drove in that run from second base with two outs in the ninth they scored another run in the 10th inning to go up two to one and if it wasn't for the walk-off home run by patrick bailey they would have lost the game to Texas, blown the series, despite the fact that Logan Webb, who's been a legitimate ace for them, also Sacramento's own Logan Webb, uh, Logan Webb, who's been a legitimate ace for them this year, gave them eight and two thirds of shutout ball. And then only on the last out of the game, did they give up a run? And that was enough to force extra innings. So yeah, the Giants are in a situation where they can't hit and you threw out a lot of names in there, whether it was uh, Lamont Wade or whether it's Patrick Bailey or JD Davis or Jock Peterson you throw out a lot of names and I don't know who the guy is that needs to like if this person turns it around it'll spark the offense because it feels like they don't have that guy who like if he starts hitting like with the Phillies it was like with Bryce Harper starts hitting it'll turn around their offense because Castellanos has giving them something and Trey Turner's giving them something it feels like they need like three or four guys to turn it around in order to put together even a league average offense
2: and why it's so gross right now is it's like five to six guys that are in perpetual slump like Tyro Estrada he's came up with a couple big hits since he's gone back off the injured list but he was even slumping prior to his injuries and right now they're waiting on like the injury statuses for like guys like Mike Yastrzemski, Mitch Haniger. those are fine veterans to insert in the middle of your lineup but I think most Giants fans are trying to figure out too what is that balance of just letting the young guys play because we've seen a lot of guys come up too this year whether it be Uh, luis matos in center field or heliot ramos marco luciano luciano we want to see them get more playing time but at the same time if they're killing the team like casey schmidt came up and was hitting like 500 for a three-week stretch and then he was hitting 100 for the next three weeks yes you want to give that guy some run especially when you have an aging veteran like brandon crawford but you don't want to sacrifice the season.
0: without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: Then, if you can make a playoff run, because I, this is a pivotal year for guys like Gabe Kapler and Farhan Zaidi. They can't just like say all right we'll just wait another year we'll just punt on another year especially you started off the video by mentioning the disastrous offseason that was those guys kind of need to buy some more goodwill with this team the more they punt the more they stick it to the fan base i'm sorry but giants fans are kind of spoiled i hate to say it but we got spoiled (laughs) in the 2010s so it's hard to be patient and watch this play out when you're making micro moves day in day out but we just can't make that splash move Well, these micro moves, if you're going to make them, they got to pay off. We got to see the proof in the pudding. It's been a decade since the San Francisco Giants won a playoff
1: series. Have you really thought about that? It's been a decade since the San Francisco Giants won a playoff series. 2014 was the last time that they won a playoff series. And it was obviously a World Series. I mean, I know they won a wild card game, but still the point being like San Francisco, it's been a while for them. And what's so interesting about the Giants, and and this is why this team does fascinate me is that baseball has decided in the Moneyball era and the the balancing money situation that it is about giant stars that make an impact on the game, you know, the, the $300 million contracts, the $200 million contracts, And it's about finding value with players on the arbitration level. So like in Major League Baseball, your first three years in the league, you're making like $900,000. And then you hit arbitration. And it's a year to year process of negotiating. And you're usually getting pretty good value relative to what the player's worth. So baseball has become about the people at the very top of the revenue spectrum and and top of the salary spectrum and people at the bottom. And it's squeezed the middle class out of baseball. What the Giants have done over the years is said, what if we just take that middle class that everyone is not valuing and build a team of middle class guys? Like, what if we take the what if we find value in these players like Jock Peterson, who's making $18 million a year, like Conforta, who's making $18 million a year. What if we find value in the margins that maybe these other teams aren't? And it's come with mixed results. Obviously, they yeah. won 107 games one year, and then they missed the playoffs. So I've just found that experiment to be interesting. And this year, they've outperformed expectations.
2: What I will give the Giants organization credit for, and particularly under the Zaidi administration, is that they have found those marginal players, as you mentioned, And they've actually done right by them in the sense of improving their careers. Because a guy like Darren Ruff turning into something like he did in 2021 was unexpected. Uh, Kevin Gosman, I mean, you look at the deal he got with the Blue Jays, he's thanking the Giants for reviving his career. All these other guys who still have jobs like Descalfani, who's on the IL right now, Alex Wood, all these guys are still getting paid from what they were able to do in that 2021 season. And guys like Donovan Solano yeah donovan solano tyro strada you know them just being able to find him on the margins and and he had been a good player for the giants i think that he is truly a future player that you add to your middle infield and keep running him out there but you know guys like yastrzemski Mike strumski is probably one of zaidi's bigger hits we're starting to hit the point where it's like what can you do with a 30 year old aging player who was almost out of the league at a certain point like yastrzemski can only take you so far lamont wade's been a nice story at points for them this year and certainly in 2021 when he was hitting all those pinch hit homers and when i go back to 2021 it was a magical amazing enthralling season that the giants were able to put together in 2021 but there was a lot of the luck element that i hate to say just is due for regression like the fact that you set a franchise record with pinch hit home runs and now you're starting to see it like with guys who just can't hit their weight now that managed to get contracts after the 2021 season, like Austin Slater, like he pinch hit for someone the other night and it was just the wrong call. And Gabe Kapler has just been pulling the wrong strings lately. That's led into the slump, like not pinch hitting for guys in the right situations, wrong situations. When you constantly play that game of platooning people, you're just going to bet wrong a certain percentage of times. And unfortunately that has. And some of the bigger misses, we're starting to see that too, this year, like Ross Stripling has been terrible for them. maniah has been so so he's been better as a bullpen arm when I mentioned the rotation earlier I thought that was a need for the Giants listen if we get into playoff time they can win a first round playoff series and why I say that is because you're going to roll out Logan Webb and Alex Cobb the first two games all you need to do is win two games in a three game series that's good enough to advance but when we get into the deeper rotation here who's their third starter Ryan Walker's been a great opener for them but you're betting on him, Alex Wood, Manaya Jacob Junis to just come in and kind of be that third spot. You really just have to bridge that gap to the bullpen, but that's tough to do in playoff baseball sometimes. So the best thing I can say about
1: Farhan Zaidi and that organization at the front office level is that they've hit on some really good players and taken some chances on some reclamation projects that have worked out great, and they've missed in some places as well. They and they've done no more remarkable or worse than any other general manager in the league which by the way is why zaidi got that extension after 2021 they have been no more or less remarkable than anyone else they've had some prospects that hit some prospects that have missed it happens and the fact that they have been just about average for the most part has led to them being just about average over the last five years they've had two really bad seasons two really good seasons and one season where I think they went exactly 81 and 81, if I remember correctly. So they've just kind of been in the middle. They've had some good, they've had some bad, and they've been a really interesting experiment here. And so even just this season's a microcosm of that.
2: Let me ask, because as they kind of sit in here at, again, the fifth best record in the NL. So that's good. That's positive. But as I mentioned, you have a lot of young guys right now that are vying for playing time, been in and out of the lineup. Again, I mentioned Matos, Luciano, certainly Bailey is going to play. I I don't know if Joey Bart's going to get some playing time at all the remainder of the season. How do you handle them? I I know they just called up their top pitching prospect to Kyle Harrison. He's going to start on Tuesday. Do you just let the young guys play the rest of this year? Because that's kind of what the Giants thought they were going to be. Do you revert back to how you thought you were going to be in the offseason? Or do you adjust now that you are in this spot with this record that you didn't think you would have?
1: So it depends. When you have like five players at similar positions, I'm just going to refer to the position players for the time being right now because I know there's a pitching situation with the Giants that's unique too. But when you have five players all vying for playing time, there's not enough spots on the field for all of them to get in and remain competitive. That's usually a classic case of you need to trade two of them for a top end player. And that doesn't even necessarily need to be like what the Padres did when they traded C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, who were two top-end prospects who were getting playing time in the majors, trading both of them for Juan Soto. It doesn't necessarily need to be that big of a trade. It could be trading for a number two starter next season. Maybe they go to those New York Yankees who are sitting in last place and they say hey, you remember uh, that that Carlos Rodon guy, that guy that we wanted to sign to an extension? If you're willing to eat a certain amount of money on his contract, we will give you Marco Luciano in exchange for Carlos Rodon, and you guys eat some of the money. Maybe that's the situation that it works out to, but those are more off-season moves for the regular season. It's so late in the season that my best bet is just play the hot hand, especially because they're going to be in this situation where they're trying to get, A three-game series against either the Phillies or the Brewers or maybe the Cubs if they end up winning that division. So they're kind of in that space where it's like, we're going to play a wild card series against a team that also has holes in their team, right? The the Giants have holes in their team. The teams they're going to play also have holes at some spots. If they get the Marlins, the Marlins can't hit for shit either. So you know, you're going to be okay in that respect. But the Miami Marlins series would be interesting. The Phillies series would be Interesting, But for the time being, you just ride the hot hand and you reevaluate in the offseason just because I think the Giants are probably in a position where they got to cash some of those players, even Joey Bart, who I know is a former number two pick. You got to cash some of those players that are on the fringes of the AAA and the majors for top end major league talent and I know that's not a popular choice by Giants fans I've heard their belief in the in the minor league guys but if you've got five guys just vying for positioning you got to trade a couple of them
2: well it really just comes down to can Zaidi bet on the right horses bet on the right guys because I guess you would say hey he was right on the Carlos Correa thing as much as he took it on the chin for what happened he was right on the Carlos Correa thing so he hasn't made a disastrous signing on a big-name player or a disastrous trade on a big-name player because even the Chris Bryant trade which is the biggest trade of the Farhan Zaidi administration that didn't burn the Giants because they didn't really trade away that much you probably couldn't even name the minor leaguers that they traded away Giants fans can't name the minor leaguers that they traded away in that deal and hell I'm sh- sure that the Cubs can't even name the minor leaguers that they acquired in that trade because they're not doing anything so on the bright side, he hasn't <laughs> made a huge error with trading way prospects or trading way high end prospects. It's just I, I think a lot of Giants fans don't trust him to be aggressive in general because we've seen a reluctance to be aggressive with this team. The Chris Bryant thing is an outlier at this point. It's the one bold move in the entire five year, six year, I, don't, I forget what it is now, reign of Zaidi in San Francisco. And I understood it the early couple of years because you're rebuilding, you weren't weren't expecting much, but now we're getting to the point where it's like, okay, we got to start seeing those fruits of your labor. So either these guys who are coming through the pipeline, they produce, or you're right, you trade them and get players that will produce that you know are major league players. I I know, especially too, when you compare him, I mean, heck, he's always going to get compared to Brian Sabian. Sabian knew when to move off guys. Sabian knew when to bet on guys. That's kind of the bar in San Francisco that he has to live up to I do believe that, yes, there has to be that balance. You're right. Play the hot hand because if you have a chance for the playoffs. Make the playoffs. See what happens. It's baseball. Nutty stuff happens all the time. If you win a first-round series, great. If you manage to upset the Braves or Dodgers, even better. But you just got to at least play with the cards you got. We're at this point in the season. Just see what happens. So, all right, guys. Well, let us know in the comments, how do you feel about the San Francisco Giants and their playoff hopes? Do you think they'll break out of this recent batting slump? Come on, we're the Slump Buster Podcast. We believe in busting the slump. So come on, bats, revive, wake up a little bit. Leave a like on the video, subscribe. We'll see you next time.
1: So it depends. When you have like five players at similar positions, I'm just going to refer to the position players for the time being right now because I know there's a pitching situation with the Giants that's unique too. But when you have five players all vying for playing time, there's not enough spots on the field for all of them to get in and remain competitive. That's usually a classic case of you need to trade two of them for a top end player. And that doesn't even necessarily need to be like what the Padres did when they traded C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, who were two top-end prospects who were getting playing time in the majors, trading both of them for Juan Soto. It doesn't necessarily need to be that big of a trade. It could be trading for a number two starter next season. Maybe they go to those New York Yankees who are sitting in last place and they say hey, you remember uh, that that Carlos Rodon guy, that guy that we wanted to sign to an extension? If you're willing to eat a certain amount of money on his contract, we will give you Marco Luciano in exchange for Carlos Rodon, and you guys eat some of the money. Maybe that's the situation that it works out to, but those are more off-season moves for the regular season. It's so late in the season that my best bet is just play the hot hand, especially because they're going to be in this situation where they're trying to get, a three-game series against either the Phillies or the Brewers or maybe the Cubs if they end up winning that division. So they're kind of in that space where it's like, we're going to play a wild card series against a team that also has holes in their team, right? The the Giants have holes in their team. The teams they're going to play also have holes at some spots. If they get the Marlins, the Marlins can't hit for shit either. So you know, you're going to be okay in that respect. But the Miami Marlins series would be interesting. The Phillies series would be interesting. Interesting, but for the time being, you just ride the hot hand and you reevaluate in the offseason just because I think the Giants are probably in a position where they got to cash some of those players, even Joey Bart, who I know is a former number two pick. You got to cash some of those players that are on the fringes of the AAA and the majors for top end major league talent. And I know that's not a popular choice by Giants fans. I've heard the belief in the in the minor league guys, but if you've got five guys just vying for positioning, you got to trade a couple of them.
2: Well, it really just comes down to can Zaidi bet on the right horses, bet on the right guys because I guess you would say, "Hey, he was right on the Carlos Correa thing. As much as he took it on the chin for what happened he was right on the Carlos Correa thing so he hasn't made a disastrous signing on a big name player or a disastrous trade on a big name player because even the Chris Bryant trade which is the biggest trade of the Farhan Zaidi administration that didn't burn the Giants because they didn't really trade away that much you probably couldn't even name the minor leaguers that they traded away Giants fans can't name the minor leaguers that they traded away in that deal and hell I'm sh- sure that the Cubs can't even name the minor leaguers that they acquired in that trade because they're not doing anything so on the bright side, he hasn't <laughs> made a huge error with trading away prospects or trading away high end prospects. It's just I, I think a lot of Giants fans don't trust him to be aggressive in general because we've seen a reluctance to be aggressive with this team. The Chris Bryant thing is an outlier at this point. It's the one bold move in the entire five year, six year, I, don't, I forget what it is now, reign of Zaidi in San Francisco. And I understood it the early couple of years because you're rebuilding, you weren't weren't expecting much, but now we're getting to the point where it's like, okay, we got to start seeing those fruits of your labor. So either these guys who are coming through the pipeline, they produce, or you're right. You trade them and get players that will produce that you know are major league players. I I know, especially too, when you compare him, I mean, heck, he's always going to get compared to Brian Sabian. Sabian knew when to move off guys. Sabian knew when to bet on guys. That's kind of the bar in San Francisco that he has to live up to I do believe that, yes, there has to be that balance. You're right. Play the hot hand because you have a chance for the playoffs. Make the playoffs. See what happens. It's baseball. Nutty stuff happens all the time. If you win a first-round series, great. If you manage to upset the Braves or Dodgers, even better. But you just got to at least play with the cards you got. We're at this point in the season. Just see what happens. So, all right, guys. Well, let us know in the comments, how do you feel about the San Francisco Giants and their playoff hopes? Do you think they'll break out of this recent batting slump? Come on, we're the Slump Buster Podcast. We believe in busting the slump. So come on, bats. Revive. Wake up a little bit. Leave a like on the video. Subscribe. We'll see you next time.